Today's lesson is written in Mark, the 10th chapter. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Great to see you all here. Um, if you're looking in your bulletin saying, wait a minute, it says Pastor Tim Householder to be preaching. I am not Pastor Tim. So just FYI. Uh, if I don't know you, I'm, I'm Mark Juliet, missions pastor here. Pastor Tim was scheduled uh, to be preaching this weekend. Um, sadly, his mother-in-law, Kathy's mom, passed away a few days ago. And so they're gathering with, uh, with her family, um, their family up in Minnesota. So uh, ask for your prayers with uh, the householders and with Kathy's extended family as well at this time of gathering together in this time of, of sorrow and loss for them. We are starting a new series called Three Steps to Better Relationships. And who couldn't use better relationships? Well, actually, let's see a show of hands. Who right now thinks they could use better relationships? You're like, wait a minute. Is this a trick question? I'm, I'm sitting next to my spouse or I'm, I'm sitting next to mom and dad. I, we all could use better relationships. So, yes, it's okay for every hand to go up because that acknowledges we can grow. We can improve our relationships, whether it's with a spouse or whether it's a parent-child relationship, whether it's with another family member or a friend. Um, all of our relationships uh, can always be improving. And so these are not like, hey, the three guaranteed steps to better relationships, just follow these three easy instructions. No, it's not that. Uh, but these are three things to, to keep in mind uh, as we want to continue to improve our relationships. And they're, they're based in the scriptures. They're based in uh, Jesus' teachings. They're based in the Christian community that we see in the, in, um, the scriptures. Or they're based in, in people who are trying their best to follow God. And to follow God's ways. So uh, this week we look at moving from selfish to selfless. Next week we're going to look at community. And how um, community in our day is 
challenged in many ways through technology, how it can be such a blessing uh, to continue and uh, further develop community, but how it can also be a curse. And we'll look at how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we limit screen time? Um, how do we deal with that technology? How do we make sure that we're staying focused on those who are around us and, and what our interactions um, should be like or can be like? The last week, we'll talk about our number one relation, relationship, and that's seeking the Lord first. And how, as we do that, that, that helps to benefit all of the other relationships in our lives. Seems counterintuitive to put someone else first, and that benefits this relationship. When it comes to our relationship with God, as we do that, that helps all those other relationships to um, get better. Today, moving from selfish to selfless. A doctor, a lawyer, a um, priest, and a, and a young man, a boy, went up in a small airplane for an afternoon flight. Just to look around, to see the surroundings from up above, and to be up in the clouds. And they're all enjoying the ride very much, and then pretty soon uh, the pilot said, seemed to be messing around with controls and things, and, and uh, he said, something's not right here. And then pretty soon after that, the engine sputtered and then died. And despite the best efforts of the pilot, the plane was going to go down. And the pilot instructed them, said, everybody grab a parachute. We have to exit the plane immediately. We're going down. And at that, the pilot put on a parachute and jumped out. You know, there are four sitting there looking at each other. What do we do now? Well, I guess put on a parachute. They looked, and there were only three parachutes for the four of them. Well, they had to decide pretty quickly. This is the ethical dilemma, right? This is the lifeboat. This is the, the plane in the sky that's crashing to the ground. Who should get the parachutes? And who is going to go without? The doctor said, well, I have saved many lives and I intend to save many more. Therefore, I should have a parachute. And at that, he put on one of the parachutes and jumped out of the plane. The lawyer said, well, lawyers are very smart. And they can help people by their great intelligence. And I am one of the best lawyers. So, therefore, I should probably uh, use one of the parachutes as well so I can preserve my great brain. And at that, he put on the, uh, the parachute, uh, the pack, and jumped out. Now it was just the priest and the boy. The priest looked at the young man. He said, son, I've lived a long life. I've been very blessed and fortunate. You have your whole life ahead of you. You take the parachute. The boy looked at the father and he said, father, don't worry. The smartest guy in the world just jumped out with my backpack on.
Well, this is an extreme example of a situation where you see great selfishness and great selflessness. We're not always faced with such dramatic instances. It makes things a little bit more challenging and nuanced to deal with in life. But constantly, continually in our, in our lives and in our relationships, we do have those decisions and we do have those ways that we interact. And sometimes they can turn towards selfishness. Sometimes they turn towards selflessness. And so how do we um, determine the best way to go forward? Well, when a relationship is, becomes unbalanced, when one person seems to constantly be taking or, or to constantly be focused on themselves, it damages that relationship over time. Certainly now there are many times when any one of us can be in greater need. When, when a loved one needs more attention, more help than at other times. There are seasons in life where that is true. I mean, any parent, you know a child isn't going to be able to, to contribute or give back to you and to the family in the same way that you need to provide for them. They're, they're, that is just the nature of the relationship. Or when you have a, a parent that becomes more elderly that maybe be, has a, a, reaches a point where they are become more dependent on the help of their children and others, that changes that dynamic. It almost reverts and, and the roles are switched. So there are seasons and there are times and there are situations where it is imbalanced and it needs to be. Even in those situations, though, there's still some give and there's some take. And there's some blessing that is within that. But I want to look at relationships that should be balanced. Relationships where it should be some sort of mutuality to them. And so in those relationships, a great question to ask is this, what is at the center of the dartboard in our relationship? Is it personal happiness or is it mutual well-being? If it's personal happiness, happiness is a fleeting thing. Happiness is something that can, can turn inward. And when, when we have that focus that we're just seeking our own happiness, we, we might, whether consciously or subconsciously, do that at the expense of others. But if we are seeking mutual well-being, then we can weather through the difficulties. And there are ups and there are downs, and there are times when we are happy, and there are times when we are frustrated, but we can get through those because we're aimed at something greater. Now we need to make a distinction between being self-centered, selfish, and being self-defined. When we are being self-centered, we disregard what is life-giving for the other person in the relationship. 
in what ultimately may be for our, best, our own best good as well. And we do that in exchange for something that is more immediate and gratifying. However, when a person is self-defined, they have good boundaries and have a good sense of themselves, of who they are, and of what they need for their own well-being. Now, people who are self-defined sometimes can come off as seeming um, self-serving or self-interested or aloof to a problem that maybe we're dealing with. But that may only be because they aren't taking on that problem as their own, but remaining in a position that is healthy where they can be of benefit and help to those who are actually uh, going through those things from a different vantage point. Jesus had a strong self-identity. He knew who he was, and he knew who he was not. He had good boundaries, and he, he didn't let anyone uh, be a, uh, that he wasn't a doormat for anyone. He knew when to intervene, and he knew when to hold back. As such, the interactions that he had with others often produced, produced life-giving results. And he helped people to come to a better understanding of their own identity as God's beloved child. Take, for instance, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Here this woman was brought before Jesus by some of the religious leaders. And you can imagine she is just being torn apart. And here, here they are using her as an example. And they're trying to trap Jesus in his words. They say, Master, the law teaches that a person caught in adultery should be stoned to death. What do you say? You see, they knew Jesus was a Pharisee, a teacher, which means that Jesus should uphold the law. And yet at the same time, they knew that Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors and that he freely forgave people without going through that judgment of the law. What would he do? Jesus didn't immediately respond. Instead, he bent down and began to doodle in the dirt. This further aggravated the religious leaders, and they pressed him. Master, teacher, the law says this. What do you say we do? I can just imagine Jesus, you know, bent down there, kind of nonchalantly, just kind of a little bit, just above his uh, a whisper, says, you who is without sin, you cast the first stone. At that, religious leaders began to walk away one by one. And then he stood up. And the only person there before him was the woman. 
And he said, well, woman, where, where are they? Are none left here to condemn you? She said, no. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. In this instance, Jesus didn't quickly jump in and make excuses for the woman. Nor did he join in the anxiety and the anger of the crowd that was gathered there. Rather, he posed a question. A question that caused all to reflect. and To think about their place within all of this. And when the religious leaders had all gone away, he stood up. He looked the woman in the eye, acknowledged her, and then shared the incredible grace and forgiveness of God. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus taught a way of selflessness, of humility. And so when James and John come to him with this request, it must have been terribly disheartening for him. Let us sit, one at your right and one at your left, when you come into your glory, they said. Man, they were riding this good train. I mean, they had a good thing going on. And they recognized, hey, this Jesus, he's got it together. And he's, he's popular, and all of, these, all of these crowds and people are, are flocking to him. And, and he's taking on the authorities. He's got, he's got authority as, as a teacher and as a leader. Maybe he is the Messiah. And, and he's going to, to become the king of Israel, and he's going to reestablish this kingdom, and we want to be there. We're in the inner circle of the inner circle, after all. I mean, James and John, along with Peter, were the inner three of the inner 12 of all of these other disciples and followers. Grant us a place, a position of power and authority, Jesus, when you come into your glory. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink of the cup from which I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? We can, they said. Jesus said, well, you will drink from the cup from which I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. In other words, be careful what you wish for, because it's coming. But to grant who will be at my left and my right, that is not for me to grant, but for those for whom it has been prepared. James and John would drink of the cup from which Jesus drank, the cup of suffering. And they would be baptized with the baptism with which he was baptized, that way of the cross. But the ones who would be at his right and his left, 
when he came into his glory? He would come into his glory when he was upon the cross. And the ones at his left and his right would be common thieves. See, just a short time earlier, Jesus had taught those who were following him that they were to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Were James and John not listening? Did they not understand what the way of Jesus was? Jesus said, I came not to, to be served, but to serve. Jesus, God's Son, the Messiah, this one for whom we want to give honor came not to be served, but to serve. What does it mean to deny oneself? The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans talks about the old Adam and the old Eve. That self within us that wants its own way. That place where selfishness stems from. I mean, you look at the story of Adam and Eve and it's a story of, of selfishness. Of being about the self. A self that places itself on the throne of its own existence. This is the self that must die in order that a new self may live. Jesus is imploring us, deny the old Adam, the old Eve, and take up your new identity, your true identity, as reborn children of God. This is the way of the cross. This is the way of Christ. And so as we approach our relationships, as we think about the relationships around us and, and how we approach those, this is a great place to start. Denying the old Adam, the old Eve. Walking away from that within us that is just focused on the self. And being open, broken open, to a new life. To that life which we have in Christ. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Yes, we are. God's grace poured out upon us. The place where we die to the old Adam, the old Eve, and where we rise again to newness of life, to a new identity, to walking with Christ daily in the way of the cross. Let us learn evermore what it means to, to walk in that way. To turn away from being selfish, selfish to a way that is selfless. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve. You came 
and you understood who you were. And you helped us to better understand who we are as beloved children of God. Lord, pour out your grace upon us that we might die to the old self and rise to newness of life every day. Lord, bless us in our relationships. Bless us as we walk closer with one another and with you. We pray in your name. Amen.